Hello and you're very welcome to I Love This Band. My name is Jennifer Quigley. This episode is mainly just a thank you for all your listens since last June. I understand that I'm slightly slower than other podcasts in getting content out. Other podcasts are usually week by week, somewhere every fortnight. I'm fairly unpredictable. Usually I make episodes and release them at my leisure, if I'm perfectly honest. I do take my time to research the artist in question. When I'm writing the artist biography that comes at the beginning just after I do my quick introduction, I don't want to just rhyme off facts, I want to also tell a good story. I want all of you to get a digestible idea of what the artist is about and hopefully you'll understand what drives others to admire them so much. Storytelling is very important when I'm creating this podcast. What motivated me to create this podcast? Well, I just love music and I love the people that make it. The story of an individual is deeply intertwined in their art. As we grow up from children to teenagers to adults, we find artists that will speak to our soul. There may be a band that speaks to our alienation and forms our identity, or maybe they just helped us cope with everyday life and the struggles that come with that. The personal connection to music is what drives me. Our personal connection to our favourite band is something that isn't often explored outside of artist biographies. While I could just rhyme off factoids about various artists and trace their lives from death to birth, this podcast wouldn't quite have the heart if it wasn't for the contribution of those I've talked to. So this episode is mainly just kind of a thank you and a recap of what I've done so far. I just want to run through some of my favourite I Love This Band moments and some highlights from some episodes I've made. And then after that, I'll be creating some new content for everybody. Some new bands will be covered. Some new people will be interviewed and some old faces will pop up again. And I'm really looking forward to that. So here are my favourite moments. This clip is from episode one, which was about polystyrene and X-Respects. And I was talking to my friend Ursula Sam. Here I asked her what her first X-Respects song was and how she got into them. And this is how she answered. I think it was Identity. It must have one of Identity or Artificial. It was in a um, compilation CD that I got from this place called Flashback Records. Anyone in London would know it. There was one near me. And that's how I got into lots of punk songs. I saw Top of the Pops too. <laughs> I saw the dams on Top of the Pops and I thought, who the hell is that with a black lipstick? And so I just went there. My mum indulged me. And then I just got, because I saw her in the test tube with the other people and I thought, she's black. <laughs> she's, she's a black woman. I mean, she's mixed race, beautiful, cool woman. And as a kid, those songs are so like happy but then you listen to the lyrics, you go, oh my God, what is she saying? And on the subject of 70s punk rock, I talked to Danny Kilmartin about The Clash. And here he is discussing his left-wing politics and how that relates to his Clash fandom. And this is what he had to say. For me, I can't really discern whether I'm left-wing because I started listening to The Clash or I listened to The Clash because I'm left-wing because... They, they both just kind of coincided very conveniently for me. Like I, I was the kid who was reading 
ridiculous biographies about Che Guevara and the motorcycle diaries and wearing the t-shirts what a fine testament to his legacy and everything he stood for but um then you had the clash saying all of these incendiary political revolutionary things and you had Joe Strummer rocking the Brigade Rossa t-shirts and one of the bands that I had in mind before I even created any episodes was The Doors in the year 2018 I was listening to an unholy amount of that band and I got kind of obsessed. So in episode two, I talked to Lynn Zombie about Jim Morrison and The Doors and we were just discussing how at at a certain point in your life, they can come in and you just become obsessed. And this is what she had to say about that phenomenon. I'm like 99% positive that anyone listening to this that is a fan of The Doors has experienced that, whether it's at the age of five when you discover them or the age of 18 or 28 or 58. When you discover The Doors, they're so, they're so fascinating. Every aspect of them and they're multifaceted there's so much to them they're complex the music's complex the videos are complex Jim Morrison is so fucking complex I've been a fan of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds for many years I started listening to the birthday party and then eventually found them the cover of the album Push the Sky Away was quite controversial when it came out and Nick Cave received a little bit of criticism about it so in this clip, Eva Ward is talking about Nick Cave's visual sense and about that album cover. And this is what she had to say. And I, I think that makes sense about creativity, that it is that escape. It's that escape from the everyday, the mundane and whatever's happening in your life to something else. It just kind of got me thinking as well there, um, what you were saying about his visual side. The... I'm sure you've read about this, but I thought it's really beautiful. The cover of Push the Sky Away, you know that image? Yes. It's so beautiful. And it's that image of Susie, um, you know, she's naked and yeah. Nick's kind of standing to the side. And I remember reading that that was, um, it wasn't intentional. No. It was actually like the the photographer was a friend of theirs and happened to be there. And I think shooting Susie for some modelling thing and just took that snap. And yeah, it's like he's got this really strong... Uh, eye for aesthetic as well your favourite band might be one that you listened to in your childhood and that band stuck with you through your teenage years and then stuck with you into adulthood in this case I'm talking to John Quigley John is talking about the contribution of Brian Jones to the Rolling Stones and how Brian Jones's rock and roll persona outshone his artistry so here's what John had to say about that I think he would be I think it would be a producer's dream because you have somebody like him who has an ear for what a track needs. You know, like for example, he added the dulcimer on the track um, under my thumb, uh, you know, com- completely on his own. The the rest of the band were so shocked to, to hear this. And it just completely it changed, completely the, vibe changed the, the vibe of the song. Yeah, and um, as you say, the other instruments that he played too, he was completely innovative like that you know he could hear he could hear a a a phrase in a song and he knew that you know we can strip this down or we can add more instruments to that you know and it's it's he is forgotten of he you know people kind of do forget about that they think that he's just sort of devil may care lead guitarist um sort of narcissist but i think when you listen to people speaking about him in interviews it seems a lot more 
um, correct to, to he was a shy kind of person you know I think he he kind of felt misunderstood I think he kind of felt let down by the rest of the band Katie Ball has grown up with Elvis her whole life she comes from a family of massive Elvis Presley fans and on the subject of sex drugs and rock and roll Elvis's life is full of all of these things the lives of rock stars are fascinating because they can get away with things we could never get away with. And if we're going to talk about too much money, too much sex and too much food, Elvis Presley is the perfect case study. The fact is, it's easy to get sucked into rock mythology, but the true story is always slightly more complicated. So here's what Katie Ball had to say about Elvis Presley and his excess. He once took like sleeping pills for like two weeks, so he wouldn't wake up and eat because he wanted to lose weight for a show and then he you know obviously everyone knows that he binge ate and mm-hmm. he had a binge eating disorder these are all theories as well but if you look if you if you look at everything that you know he did he like his weight was a lot to do with his death in the end i think he must have struggled with that his whole his whole life like um body image issues and probably just a lot of men- mental health issues that caused him to get addicted to drugs possibly sex mm-hmm. that that's a theory as well mm-hmm. he a lot i heard a lot of people say that he was really scared of like getting older and like not being relevant and he was worried that people wouldn't remember him and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff and so getting older was a thing that he was scared of and i think that eating the sweet foods and stuff that he did kind of reminded him of being a child in, mm-hmm. and like brought him back to his southern roots and and um, maybe eating stuff that his ma made him and all that kind of stuff that uh, kind yeah. of was comforting, comforting to him. Blondie blew up in the United Kingdom before they really became superstars in the United States. And this is a fact that's kind of little acknowledged now. In episode 7, Carly Jenna discusses this. She's talking about the reception to rock music and instruments in the UK and Ireland versus the United States. And the difference between Canada as well. It's just very interesting. Here's what she had to say. Well, I can tell you why. I'm just being from that side of the world. I know kind of the market over there. and Like, I'm not part of the market. But, you know, you, you watch what happens over there. And the market over there is it's, it's tuned to them. You know what I mean? So it's tuned to... You know, at the moment, it's all this, like, Justin Bieber and blah, 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 blah. But over here, it's completely different. Still rock and roll bands. People are still, like, obviously, but it's like Ed Sheeran. Okay, I I hate bringing up these people. But what I mean is, like, they're still, he's still playing a guitar. He's still making, it's just a complete different market over here. I find that it's more raw over here. It's, you know what I mean? There's a lot more music. It's a lot more open over here as opposed to over in America and Canada. It's a lot more. Well, Canada is a completely different scene in America, but I'm just saying, like, it's a lot more closed knit. So to break into the actual charts over there, it's like, you know. I think many people would be familiar with the feeling of stress that comes with trying to get tickets to see your favourite band. This is especially the case if they're huge and legendary, and they haven't played in decades. That's what this next clip is about. Whip Girl is telling me the story of how she got tickets to see Kate Bush in 2014. And that was a pretty legendary gig, and the story before she even got the tickets was pretty interesting. So here's an anecdote from Whip Girl. So anyway, 
when I got back after the festival anyway, the friend like got in touch and was like, you're not going to believe this, but I found like this woman online who's got a spare ticket. Um, so if you don't mind like meeting up with her over in London or whatever, and like, you know, you've got a ticket. So yeah. I basically like, hopped on a plane and flew over and I met this lady um, in Camden and she was fucking crazy. Oh my God. It was like seeing myself in like 30 years time. <laughs> She's like really dramatic, just just this really cool woman anyway I met. She like showed up in like a corset and like a big black coat and she was blonde with the red lips as well. And I was like, oh my God, we're so nice, but you're like, you know, 30 years older than me or whatever. So anyway, myself and this random crazy woman (laughs) went to Kate Bush together and she got drunk and stole some of the merch at the Cape Bush concert. It was so funny. Oh, my God. And then she, like, drove home after the concert. I was trying to stop her. But anyway, she, she got into her car and drove home. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, seeing Cape Bush live was just spectacular. It was I cried as well. And that's just a little tribute to how far I've come and I love this band and a tribute to everybody who's joined me on the show. So thank you so much for listening to that. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at I Love This Band Pod. So those clips were from episode one to episode eight and I hope you really enjoyed them. You can listen to those on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and anywhere you get your podcasts. So my plan now is to take a bit of a break while I build up a bank of content to release on a regular basis. So thank you for listening to episode one to episode eight of I Love This Band. If there is any of those that you haven't heard yet, please go back and listen. Please share and tell your friends. Give me a subscribe, a follow, all of that good stuff. And I hope I'll be back soon. So thank you for listening once again.